0: AutoLine This Week is underwritten in part by... In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge.
1: And now, here is your host, John McElroy.
2: I want to thank you all for joining us here on AutoLine this week. We're going to be talking about rare earth metals, critically important raw material for electric cars and hybrids especially. And there's some real issues involving that material. And to get to the bottom of this, I've got three experts with me today, including Dr. Ed Becker, retired from the General Motors Corporation, Kevin Moore with All Raw Materials Consulting, and Jack Lifton from Technology Metals Research. And I want to thank you all for having been here with me today. Jack, let me throw it out to you, just, just so the audience understands, what the heck is raw, rare earth metals, and, and how they ever get that name?
0: It's an accident. Uh, the, the, originally, the, these thing, things were found in Sweden around 200 years ago. And they were not common and they got the moniker, so to speak, of rare earths. Earth, in that time, 200 years ago, meant an oxide, a natural, they didn't know that's what it was. But an earth, when we look at what they called earths 200 years ago, we recognize these were uh, oxides. In other words, uh, natural materials that that were very old and completely chemically reacted, no metals involved at all. But the name stuck. Technically, uh, a chemist would call these the lanthanides uh, because, because the first metal in the, in the sequence that, that we call rare earths is, is lanthanum. And beyond, there's another 15. Lanthanum is atomic number of 57. And the last rare earth is atomic number 71. So I guess that's 15. It yeah. sounds like 14 to me, but maybe it's 15. Um, one of them does not occur on the earth naturally. The other one, because it's radioactive and has long ago disappeared. Uh, the other ones do. And in nature, we always find scandium and yttrium, the two metals, along with the rare earths. So they've come to be called rare earths, too. Technically, they are not. And Kevin, it sounds
2: like we human beings have found out something to do with these things. Well, it's, it's fascinating. It's,
3: it's uh, finally they they decided to start developing it, and they found some applications, and they realized if they apply them right, you get an awful lot of energy out of the, these magnets that allow them to do things. And that is that the, the key?
2: We use these materials to make magnets, or, or are they well, used for others? There's
3: things. a whole plethora of things. And military applications. They're using them in the air conditioners. They're using in uh, in electric. Bicycles—they're uh, using them in just simple claps, as, uh, they, when they were real cheap in, in your purses and things like that. So they're very powerful, though, and it really gives you a lot of uh, a lot of power in a very small package, and that's the secret to to rare earths. That's the value they
2: provide. And Dr. Ed Becker, and, I got to believe there's a lot
1: of automotive applications. Well, just to expand though on what Jack was saying, uh, not only are they not earths, they're oxides. They're not particularly rare. In fact, the concentration of rare, earth in rare earths total in the Earth's crust is more than copper, but because of their unique chemical properties, they don't segregate out into high-quality ores like the other materials we're used to. So, one of the things we have to look at in terms of economically viable rare earths are the very seldom occasions where you find a significant concentration in one place. Uh, there's rare earth in uh, probably under the studio. We could dig a stick <laughs> a shovel in and find a Oh, boy, I'm,
2: we're going to make ourselves <laughs> yeah. rich here. We're going to be digging after that's, that's the
1: show. The hard part. <laughs> uh, no, there are many applications for the rare earths, including uh, lasers, optical uh, displays. The red color, the red phosphor in color television is europium, which is one of the rare earths. In fact, that was one of the biggest markets in the 1960s and supported the entire United States rare earth industry at that time. But since then, uh, it was discovered that you could make these very powerful magnets with very high a magnetic energy density and the result of that is you can make electric motors that have extremely high torque for their size and that is the real key to the electric vehicle industry. Because you can make these motors so much smaller. Make them very small relatively light uh, so that you don't need a lot of structure to support them in the vehicle which makes the vehicle lighter and gives you a great uh, advantage in terms of efficiency and ultimately mileage of course with the latest uh, goals for vehicle mileages. we're going to have to look at a lot of technologies to get there, but supplementing the gasoline or diesel motor with an electric motor is one way to increase the efficiency of the overall package.
2: And, of course, the reason we're doing the show is not just to talk about how these things can make electric cars so much more efficient, but, but, Jack, there's a geopolitical concern here, too, because China has cornered the market on this and, in fact, has put a quota on exporting
0: these things, especially to Japan. Uh, what we did was, uh, due to the operations of free market capitalism, we gave the Chinese this business. Uh, originally, they were not involved in this. Uh, when Mali Corp of the United States was the first large rare earth large rare earth mine developed in the world, and that was in the late forties, everything was wonderful until the eighties. There wasn't that, as Ed said, the the amount the demand was entirely for europium. And and something called mish metal, the mixed rare earth metals. Now, those of us of a certain age who can remember a Zippo lighter, okay, for, for those who can remember smoking, okay, uh, all those lighters had the flint, and it was in fact mixed rare earth metals. That was their largest use, okay. And that w- that product was developed around 120 years ago in Europe. They imported the materials from the United States, and they made the material, and, and that's how that got started. In the 80s, the Chinese discovered that as a byproduct of their iron mining in Inner Inter-Mon- mm-hmm. Mongolia part of China, mm-hmm. uh, they had enormous quantities of rare earths. Today, because they bought the market by lowering the cost, they put uh, the, the world's largest rare earth producer of the time, Molycorp, out of business and we get all of, we today get, they say, oh, 97% from China. Well, I don't know if, what's the difference between 97 and 100, but let's say we get 97%. <laughs> Here's the number they don't talk about. We get 100% of the critical rare earths from China. That's the problem. It, when they play political games, so to speak, with Japan, that affects us dramatically. We're, we're buying are where contained in Japanese products, washing machines, mm-hmm. cars, things like that. And so the Chinese basically control this material. Uh, and I'm, I don't know if it was a plan or not, but it certainly <coughs> worked out. It, it was predictable because of, of it, people say it was an unintended consequence. I think it was extremely foreseeable. And for many years, uh, I have said in Detroit, I don't understand why you guys think that they're always going to supply us with this. Well, that's what they thought. So when the Chinese actually said, you know what? We're going to, we'll let you know if you're going to have any, that sent a shock through that's the what, That's basically what happened. I mean, China just recognized that it
3: had a significant value. They had the ability to extract it very cheaply. Uh, they had a customer in Japan And so initially they incentivized all the cities and they incentivized all the cities with uh, with money from the government to to build the industry. They could do it very efficiently, maybe not environmentally correct Hmm. by global standards, but, and then quickly the market, had the material and they had the technology out of Japan to make the magnets, and so it started proliferating through a lot of different applications. It became very attractive to engineering, uh, and then China realizes that they they control the game, and so that creates a huge problem for all the engineering groups and people developing these products because all of a sudden you're not assured of supply and/or a cost. So that's the real that's the real question here. What are we? What are what are the OEMs? What are uh, major consumers, the GE's, the General Motors, the Fords—all these people going to do to assure the supply. It's the best solution, but if you can't buy it and and it's not available, maybe it's not the solution. So that's the that's the dilemma.
1: The analogy I like to use is the best conductor of all of the metals is silver, but we make our wires out of copper for a reason. Yeah, that's right. because silver is expensive. There are other magnetic materials. They're not as good. They don't have as high a density. Magnetic energy density, but we can make motors out of less powerful magnets and we can make motors that are called induction motors without magnets at all. The problem is all of the alternatives are bigger, heavier, and less efficient. So in a sense, uh, we could make the decision if these materials are unavailable to design around it, but we would give up the uh, increment in efficiency. And as I mentioned before, we have this goal out ahead of us, to get up to a very high miles per gallon and not too long. We don't want to give up anything, but the other thing is if parts of the globe have access to these materials and we don't, that puts us in an extreme disadvantage.
3: Which, which creates an incredible market all of a sudden, and you know how competitive uh, automotive manufacturers are. They hear that one manufacturer is, is heavily involved in buying that material. There's a perception they'll have a competitive advantage in a critical area in car production. So it's really creating a dilemma in the market that people are really challenging themselves. What can we either do to substitute or how do we participate
0: in this to assure we have supply? You know, to me, the biggest fear in GM marketing, and I'm using GM as an example, is to open the paper and have a Chinese car company with a a showroom on Maple (coughs) Road Mm -hmm. saying you could buy a general owner's car or you can buy state-of-the-art technology from us because you see they no longer use the high efficiency, blah, blah, blah. Uh Okay, now, that is the real fear. The fear is the market. It's not military. It's not anything. It's Mm -hmm. not even price. It's availability, security of supply, which in America we have overlooked since we thought we had everything and what we didn't have, you could buy. And when somebody finally said to us, I don't care how much money you have. I, this is my mitt, I'm going home, game's over. The Chinese didn't, I don't think they did this on purpose, but once they did it, they realized the power of it. And it's a whole new world now. You know, we're talking about rare earths. The Chinese have done a good job cornering tungsten. Nobody's paying attention to that, okay? And other materials, and and they're out in the world buying raw material, mines and refineries, all over the place to supply China. And people tell me, well, it it doesn't matter if a Chinese company owns a tungsten mine in, in Namibia because it's a market. So if I offer more, I say, what if the Chinese say, we're not going to do that this is for china if there's any surplus we'll let you know but we've thought and i've heard this in china we really don't want to make inventory so we won't have any surplus so you guys are out of luck Mm -hmm. where do we stand right now because i know going back a couple of years ago
2: china for the first time imposed export quotas on rare Mm -hmm. earths japan felt this the brunt of this immediately but where do we stand right now? Are, are, are the Japanese getting what they need? And, and how about in the U.S. Um, or
0: the rest of the world? If you're asking me that, that they are getting what they need, here's the real problem, again, that people aren't paying any attention to. It's not about that. The Chinese have never even... The quota has not been taken for the last five years. I always supply less mm-hmm. than the quota because nobody's buying it. All right. Here's the problem. What's moved to China is the manufacturing engineering. We, we don't need rare earth permanent magnet raw materials in the United States because we no longer make rare earth permanent magnets, nor do we have the capability, we have the capability, zero capacity. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to do anything as long as their, manu- as long as the supply chain is totally in China, I, that's no one here these, has the the, the capital to, to go into that supply chain at, at places where that we invented that we started. And as time goes on, uh, people get old, they forget things, they die, and -hmm. technology goes away. People have the mistaken belief that I can take a book off a shelf in an engineering library and build myself a nuclear submarine. It doesn't work that way. I need a lot
1: of engineering Mm -hmm. continuity. It's worth pointing out too that the quotas you refer to are on the rare earth metals themselves, not the products that are made from rare earths. There is no quota, for example, on magnets and they would happily produce magnets for all of the world's automakers at whatever price. They do happily produce those magnets. Uh, Uh, But
3: continue to control the market and be a risk for OEMs or whoever's consuming these products. Mm -hmm. So the problem we have today is, as they've alluded, there's, there's lots of the metal out there, but there's a cost to get it out of out of the ground, but that is a, a very short of where you need to be. You have to be able to create the entire supply chain, the separation, the creation of the alloy, the production of the magnet, which is another uh, patented process that is about the... Uh, about to expire, but then there's also a bunch of other patents attached to that, so there's nobody ready to jump into the game. So you got what you have is the Chinese producing it, the Japanese that are dependent on it are producing the magnets, but now the Chinese are taking over the magnet production. So the Japanese are very concerned because they want to continue to be the producers, and so they're going to be out looking to try to create the value chain. Maybe in North America, we hope so, because we need that supply here. So who are the partnerships? Who's going to finance this? Who's going to have the technologies? There's a lot of questions here, but it's exciting, but it's the best solution. And if it already exists somewhere today, somehow or another, investment has to come in, and the players
2: have to come in and make this happen. It's the best solution, but... I keep hearing of automakers and their suppliers designing new electric motors that, that don't use any. Ed, you, you touched on this, and that's and, correct. It, and it may not be the best right now, right. but you know, I've seen this industry take stuff that's awfully crude and refine it year after year, You're decade right. after decade, until all of a sudden, you know, look at the internal combustion engine. Yeah. Here we are 120 or 30 years later, we're still using it. Boy, because they've made so many improvements
1: to exactly. it. But,
2: but could that happen with these these electric motors that don't use this material? It
1: it could. There is a very active research um, thrust in the United States. In fact, a critical materials hub was just designated at Ames Lab in Iowa. Among the things they're looking at are other magnetic materials that have the potential to provide equal amounts of energy and use less critical materials. Now, this is all research at this point. And they're not the only ones uh, doing it. Probably the most active rare earth research takes place in China. Hmm. Uh, They graduate more PhDs in rare earth chemistry than um, probably the rest of the world combined uh, for decades. Times 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the problem with designing an alternative motor Right now is as I mentioned, it's bigger, bigger, heavier, and less efficient. And once you've built your vehicle around that, you've given up the real estate, you've put in the supports for that heavier motor. If the rare earth magnets become available, you can't just switch it in and get the take full advantage of it. And, and our vehicles example. and our vehicles are designed, uh, as you know, once you put a platform in production, we, the economics demand that you sell that platform for a number of years. You can't just switch it back in. That's right. And
3: you know how competitive this industry is, right? So if one, one company has a competitive advantage and they're selling an electric vehicle or whatever with these motors in it and they have this perceived value to the customer and there's such a large margin differential today and so difficult to sell them, you, you have a, a leg up very quickly. So the other ones will have to react. So it's, a, it's an issue that you have to go down these multiple avenues of development to assure that you're covering all your bases because you don't want somebody to get leapfrog you by a significant amount and take market share. It's all about market share, right? So,
2: You, you said that you hope, Kevin, that we, we bring some of this production to North America. I, I, there's talk of opening or reopening a mine in California,
3: right? Well, there's I, multiple other mines right now, junior mines, what they call it, are very infant stages. They have a lot of issues, but there's a lot of interest in those uh... and and i've been working with some of them and and the discussion always goes to if you dig this up you have to be able to get it further down the value chain and the rest of the value chain can come if you just dig it out of the ground it's going to go over to china and be controlled as jack just said anyway and so you've got to be developing but there's an interested parties beyond the chinese technologies that say yeah japanese for example or other magnet producers want to be in this game the growth could be tremendous, not just in automobiles, but in air conditioners or electric vehicles or uh, bicycles or whatever, uh, plus a, a military application. So there's, if the material was there, the growth would be substantial
2: and very exciting.
1: But it's worth pointing out that the Mollecourt mine was a producing mine before, and so okay, they have brought today. that back up.
0: But w-
2: they, it was they, environmental they, concerns, right? There was all nasty no, they, stuff they, oh, coming out market. of it? No?
0: No, no, they, no. Put, they put it out of business uh, economically. But, uh, there, there were accidents. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, Molly but, but let me put it this way
2: to reopen that mine, many environmental issues have to be addressed. Yeah, so. But and the mine were,
1: is running at the moment. Yes. Yeah. And there are other mines in Vietnam, uh, in Malaysia. Um, hey, no, sorry, yeah. that are starting up, but to go from the point of an assay and saying there's rare earths here to a producing mine is, I think... Uh, longer that, than coming out with a new well, car. Longer than coming out with a new <laughs> car. And once you determine that you have a concentration of rare earths in the ground, you have to consider the political environment. You, you need a lot of water you need a lot of electricity, and you need transportation. And there are places that have very high rare-earth concentrations that have none of those things. Right. So if somebody... Arctic Circle, Circle for example. Yep, Arctic Circle, and the under uh, the <laughs> seabed mining is how you, very... How do you get it out of there? And how I want to say get, that
2: uh, Toyota, in fact, didn't mm-hmm. it buy a mine in Chile or
0: Argentina? Uh, 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 to- Toyota is developing a mine in Vietnam, Vietnam mm-hmm, yeah. with the Vietnamese government. Only, as you might guess it's not running real smoothly. It's not about mining, mm-hmm. it's about politics. Uh, what I was gonna say was, we have a very unusual situation out in the West. It, it's hard to say the West, because I'm, I'm including Japan when I say the West, China and the rest of the world. <laughs> and so North America has lots of rare earths in mines. We even have a, the only, we have a large operating mine at, in Mountain Pass, California. Well, and that mine has a, a plant to go downstream in, in adding value. It has a separation plant. Okay, that's it. That's it for the supply chain in the United States. We have nothing else. Europe has the total supply chain and no mine. They have everything else they need to make washing machines or cars, no mine. So they're trying to develop a mine. And the problem is, although they have, I think the world's most advanced wear a separation plant in Europe and France, the original one, it's a company dedicated. That belongs to the Solvay Corporation. They're not planning to do it for anybody who just comes over the horizon with a load of rare earths. So what's missing, we, America has some parts of the supply chain. Europe has some parts. Nobody has the whole picture. The next thing that might happen in your grand, great-grandchild's lifetime mm-hmm. is that all of these nations, which are friendly, allies, might sit down and say, you know what? Maybe we ought to move things around so we've got the total supply chain among us. Until that happens, the Chinese are holding almost all the cards. That's, that's the problem. The cost of developing the supply chain is immense. Mm-hmm. And you can't make the money back from, from this from this industry. So what are we going to do? I don't know. Innovation may give us better techniques for, for supply chain components. But right now, the Chinese really are in good shape but economically, it's got to become more viable like any,
3: anything. That's really the key. And it's possible, but you've got to get the right partners together, and you've got to have the right investors involved and put the chain together. But I, I'm, I'm a bigger believer than Jack. Jack's a little more skeptical, but he may be right. But it's so valuable. I, I'd like to uh, I'd use a comparison, and I know it's not exactly the same, but PGMs, are on our catalytic converters. That was the Platinum solution. What,
1: what are those? Platinum, Platinum group, group metals. metals. Yeah, right. Platinum, palladium, and, and rhodium, right. yeah. specifically.
3: And that's the team, noble metals. Right, yes. right. right. noble, that's so right. noble. Anyway, so the late 70s, it comes on, and, and my experience in automotive was our company was saying, oh, we're gonna get this resolved, and we're gonna get away from these in the 80s. Well, the 90s come around, we've got a solution figured out, and it works just as well, and it'll work better. Come 2000, well, we're almost there, don't worry, and we're gonna eliminate these things. Guess what, we're still using them today. I see no horizon, nothing on the horizon to be a better solution. They come from mostly South Africa and Russia, a little bit here in North America, and, and they figured out a system and, a, and a, a bartering system and an inventorying system and a trading system that it, it, it manages at a very high cost. So
2: is it exactly the same? No, is it possible to work out the same? Yeah, it's quite it's a great possible. analogy. That's awesome. a great analogy, and I'll tell you why. I always thought it was crazy in the 1970s mm-hmm. that our our emissions technology could pretty much only be sourced out of the Soviet Union or then apartheid South Africa. And it was just like, you know there's gotta be another way, but to your point, we made it work then and we're still using the same thing.
1: But it's worth pointing out that uh, for a catalyst, what's important is the surface. And what we found is to lay these metals down thinner and thinner and thinner to where we're using a tiny percentage of them. In a magnet, it's the whole mass of the magnet. Mm. So we can't reduce our reliance on magnets and still have the efficiency uh, One, yeah, we still need the same amount of rare earth to make so a. Bag. Let's, create, let's dig more there's, out of the ground. There's right.
0: another good analogy mm-hmm. here. In the last 25, 30 years, the world has the world has developed a recycling system. We really recover a huge amount of these noble metals because because there aren't very many of. We we need to do that. We do it. It's a it's mm-hmm. not it's an international business recycling of. Uh, no, uh-huh. there is today almost zero recycling of rare earth metals because um, it's very expensive. But we keep shipping back to China the magnets that we just bought from them. And in a way, they dust them off, put a paint job on them, you know, and send them back. And I, in meetings with automotive companies, I say, well, let's take a look at a, at a, a starter motor. How many times have you bought this magnet? Once, I said, no, no, this is six, seven, eight, what's the life of the car? So oh we 've got to do something yeah. about that. Well, then let 's put fifty or a hundred million dollars on the table and build a recycling plant. Oh no, no no uh-huh. that 's a lot of money we 'll have to have a meeting about that that 's the last you usually <laughs> but, hear about. But I, I believe
3: very much that that industry scrap industry is very refined, and they get it. they just it 's too bad right now they 're just too far buried into the into the product uh-huh. and like Jack says, it just goes in the form and they get disassembled back there today. but at some point, the shredders. Or the dismantlers, they're going to we'll figure, figure out, way, out a way to do that. Concentrate it. Re- remember, most of the cars coming back, and they're all over the car. They're in little motors in your window. They're in the, every little motor has got one in it. And there are all the kinds of applications. Uh, but there's no efficient way of getting out today. But there's not that many cars yet that are that concentrated Put a market demand there and watch the junk
2: guys. They're pretty good. They're you're financially
3: very good. incentivized, and yeah. it'll happen at yeah. some point. I but it's not, it's not, we're start,
0: down to the last minute here. You started this show with a statement. Uh, that I, I want to challenge. You were saying, well, because of the growth of electric and hybrid cars, whereas, you know we're going. Th- that's not the point. Every car made today with an internal combustion engine has about a pound of rare earth metals in it. There's 775 million cars on the road in the world. 275 million in North America. There's all kinds of rare earths used in the car. If there's never an electric car built again, or hybrid, there'll still be a huge demand for rare earth metals. This is the hidden demand.
2: And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Great discussion here. But Dr. Ed Becker, Kevin Moore, Jack Lifton, thanks so much for coming in and sharing all your thoughts and your knowledge, your deep, deep, deep knowledge on this. I really appreciate it. I hope all of you did too. And please join us again here next week for AutoLine This Week.
0: Auto Line This Week is underwritten
1: in part by...
0: battle of fuel efficiency and endurance. We're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it? The Hybrid Game MPG Challenge.